Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Pilgrimage Podcast. For those waking up to the wonder in all things, celebrating truth and beauty, seeking to live fully here, fully present, fully human. Uh, I'm excited about jumping into the third episode of this 10-part series that we're doing. Before I do, two things real quick. The first one is I want to remind you about a pilgrimage platform. Uh, This is for anyone who wants to seek that life of a pilgrim, who wants to live uh, like every moment matters, who wants to live a life of devotion. There's a ton of resource and a ton of uh, inspiration you can get for your journey as well as support in my work. Um, There's no funding for the the podcast. There's no funding for uh, a lot of the work that I do. So this is my way of keeping it independent um, and keeping it collaborative. You can sign up at joshualukesmith.com. Also, tickets are live for the Pilgrimage Tour, uh, the UK tour. I can't wait. We're playing tons of show shows across the, the country, and you can get tickets at joshualukesmith.com. Not only that, but you can help us promote the tour by being a city host and letting your city know about it. If you want to do that, then DM me on Instagram or hit me up on Facebook, and uh, we'll work together. Join the team. But uh, without further ado, let's jump into the third episode. This is actually Pilgrimage episode 14, but a third episode of this new series. Let's do this. You know, one of the wildest things about discipline that I was just thinking about this week is when you express yourself in discipline, when you do that thing, like I've said this each episode, when you do that which costs you who you don't want to be, when you express yourself in that way, you are actually relating with the future self, the future version of who you are. I I had this very linear, very boxed idea of discipline. I used to think it was the consequence of doing something wrong. It's so much more than that because the easiest thing that you can do is sit around. I've been guilty of this a lot of my life, a lot of hours of my life, probably days. You know, I've sat around and I've imagined, I've fantasized about the person that I might become. When I do that, I'm engaging with a shadow version of who I am, right? I'm engaging with like the illusion of who I am. When I engage with my future self in the in the most present way, I'm doing something to serve him. I'm costing myself something now that I'll receive later on. So let me just give you a really simple illustration. It, it, it works best and most kind of like, obviously with physical transformation. If I choose to work out every single day, uh, you know, if I if I'm hitting the gym and I'm hitting those burpees and I'm running that treadmill and I'm doing that bench press and doing the squats and deadlifts and pull-ups and doing all that stuff that really hurts and really really costs you, and I do it every single day, four times a week for a year. There's a version of Joshua in the future who is gonna be grateful for the version of Joshua in the present because the version of Joshua in the present had the tenacity to cost himself some comfort so that future Josh could actually feel healthier and stronger you know and so I want to define discipline as I don't know self-care self-love it's an act of kindness for your future self isn't that interesting that a present cost can be a future gift that doing something in the present that hurts can do can be giving something in the future that is healing it hurts now but it's healing then and uh when we when we're engaging with our own journeys our own pilgrimage of who we are becoming discipline has to be at the forefront of our mind of you know if i'm not doing that which costs i'm probably to some degree engaging with a shadow version 
of who I am, where I think that just by being passive, I will become this this kind of idea or image of of myself, and it's just it's just not possible. Jesus said this thing. He said, you know, if you if you're a follower of me, if you follow my way, then pick up your cross every single day. When he said that, you know, he hadn't yeah he had, he was still alive, obviously. So he was just he was referencing a a torture device that the romans would use on rebels right when he said hey if you follow me you pick up your cross every day it'd be like saying hey if you follow me you go to the electric chair every day it's just just what it's so it's so offensive but what he was saying was if you follow my way then you're engaging in in a sense every day with death you're engaging every single day with death death to what death to self because Jesus' message is, I want you to live fully alive. I want you to become fully human. And to become fully human means to become resurrected, reborn. And for that to happen, there has to be a death. So every time you choose discipline, you choose death to a version of yourself that you don't want to inherit. That's why present cost means future gift. Present pain, present hurting means future healing and it's such a mind shift if all you've thought is discipline is the consequence of doing something wrong why would you ever want to do something that costs you why would you ever want to do something that costs you if, if it's just the consequence of doing something wrong no no doing something that costs you is being kind is <laughs> an act of kindness to the person that you're going to meet in the future so uh, that is that wasn't even on the notes for today. I'm uh, just thinking about discipline, and I'm still feeling so excited about it. Um, I want to move into the to the to the third letter during going down this this series, and it's the letter S. And so this this episode is stay secure, stay secure. You know, if we want to be people of devotion, people of discipline, people who live lives of pilgrimage, people who live lives where we're awake and we're alive to the wonder in every moment, where, where we're celebrators of truth and beauty, we live fully human, then I believe that we're people who live secure, right? We're people who live and stay and remain secure and as a result, help other people feel secure. This I had this memory recently of a, of a while ago. I went to a to a rock climbing gym with some friends. It, I think it's like the first and only time I've ever done it. It was a lot harder than I was expecting. Um, but I just had this flashback memory of being on the wall, climbing up this wall, and my friend at the bottom saying, "Is your footing secure? Before you move up, before you take that next grip, is your footing secure? Is where you've got your foot on this ledge secure? Because you're about to ascend a, a, you know, a higher place, a higher position. You've got to know that where your foot is right now is secure, that it's not just going to slip, that it's not just going to fall out because that could cost you everywhere that you've climbed thus far and you could land back down on the mat. And when I'm talking about security, I'm really using an image like that because actually to, to, to be someone who is secure is to say, I'm safe. Rather than I've just kind of drummed up a, a, a sense of significance or a sense of like importance that makes me feel worthy and valid and, and 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 rightful of being in the position I'm in. No, no, no. All of that stuff can get taken away. Being someone who's secure is being someone who's safe, is being someone who's safe within themselves and safe 
around other people. And isn't that like the most rewarding, enriching and satisfying experience in this human journey? Feeling safe, feeling safe within yourself, like from a place of safety, you, you can do anything. When you know that foot is secure, when your footing is secure, you keep climbing. You keep reaching higher and you keep going further up and up and up. You are ascending. You are increasing. You are going further and further from your current position. You don't want to be slipping back all the time. You don't want to find yourself exactly where you were five years ago or maybe lower. You know, I'm not talking about career necessarily. It could play into that. I'm really talking about progression of the soul, you know, pilgrimage of the heart, becoming people. We want to grow. We want to become more healthy and more, more, more aware of the goodness around us each and every day. So when I talk about security, you know, I'm going to have to lean in just to some of my own experiences to, to tell you exactly where I feel like I found freedom, you know, in the wake of acknowledging where there has been pain and hurt and insecurity you know insecurity like when i think about that word i I think of a bank you know the the bank has become insecure that means the precious items that are inside the bank the money the jewels the diamonds you know all of the stuff that you're trying to protect is now insecure because there's been some kind of infiltration it is insecure because there's an infiltration someone has got in the bank and things could get taken right that is how i would would express what my insecurity feels like there's been an infiltration there's this ancient scripture that says perfect love cast out fear or whether you have any kind of faith tradition or not you may well have heard that it's a really famous text perfect love cast out fear and i love this verse and the reason i love it is because for me it paints this picture it creates this image where yes sometimes we are these precious homes these 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 sacred spaces these temples these, these banks, you know, these, these, these spaces that host something so precious. And we are the ones who get infiltrated. And we are the ones that get robbed. And we are the ones that become insecure because there's someone in there that shouldn't be, right? And this, this text, perfect love casts out fear, is almost for me the kind of the, the end of the story. It's almost as if this is an image of what it looks like to return to a place of security when perfect love casts out fear. And so insecurity becomes less about what I think about myself or the world and more about the squatters (laughs) that are trying to make home in a place only reserved for the divine. Perfect love casts out fear. There's something about recognizing that it begins with you being a temple. It begins with you being sacred ground, holy ground. And so to feel insecure is to feel, ah, there's something in here which isn't right. I'm believing something. I'm thinking something. I'm feeling something which isn't true. Let me tell you this. We, we only believe lies that are almost true. We wouldn't believe a lie that was obviously not true. I read this story last, I think it was last year, um, in the newspaper, uh, and it was about these old age men, these old, these pensioners, right? These guys are like 85 years old, and they're running 
a uh, a, like a money laundering operation but but it's fraud they're like they're creating new notes that are so so close to being exactly uh like the real thing 20 pound notes 50 pound notes and they're about to get them out into circulation until but but they got caught they just got caught and i remember reading it and thinking you know there's a reason these guys put the effort in that they did there's a reason these guys are making 20 pound notes and 50 pound notes and not 21 pound notes why because 21 pound notes don't exist (laughs) we only believe lies we only get duped in by fraud that is almost true. If it wasn't, then we would we would keep keep our distance. We only believe lies that are almost true, which is why we to stay secure, we have to have an interrogation of what we believe and what we think about the world. We have to have a, a practice that says, I'm going to discover why I feel the way that I do. I don't just feel jealous. I don't just feel angry. I don't just feel upset. I'm going to work out why I don't feel centered anymore and I don't feel safe anymore. You know, the other day, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking with Kara and I said, you know what? I've been thinking about canceling this tour. <laughs> Just being really honest with you. And she's like, really? You've been so excited about this. And I said, yeah. And I've been thinking about canceling it. Um, she said, why? You know, why, why, why are you thinking about that? I don't know. Maybe I think it's, I don't know if it's right, the right time. I don't think it's practical to do it. She kind of gives me that look of like, really? Are you sure? And I just had this moment where I thought, oh man, you know, nah, it's it's not that. There's uh there's more going on. You know, there's more going on. I feel insecure, you know. And I said this, I just started kind of processing it. I said, I think, I think I feel out of control. Like, I can't control how many tickets sell. I can't control who's gonna turn up. I can't control like how this tour goes outside of what I bring to it. And that makes me feel really scared because I feel like if, you know, if not as many people turn up that I want to turn up, then I'm going to feel disappointed in myself and I'm going to feel exposed and vulnerable. And then she said to me, but, but you, you wanted to do this tour because you just wanted to play live more. You never said anything about wanting it to just be a sellout tour. You just wanted to play live shows. And I said, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. She said, you haven't been concerned about how, how tickets would sell until right now. Up until this point, you were just excited to play music for anyone who turned up. And as she was talking, she was beginning to speak with this truth, right? With this love for who I really am. And as she was talking, and you probably experienced the same thing. As she was speaking, I began to feel lighter and lighter, less, less heavy and burdened. And what was happening was the squatters were getting pushed out, right? The squatters that were in there that were actually saying, Josh, you're a fraud and you're going to be exposed one day for being not as much as people think that you are. That lie was getting evicted, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love doesn't ask fear to leave politely. Any shame you feel, any control you feel has its root in fear. Any shame or control you feel has its root in fear. If I want to control a situation, it's because I fear it not going my way. If I feel shame, if I feel like I am something wrong, it's because I fear being exposed and therefore 
will hide myself in shame, right? So as, as, as you engage with a different narrative, a narrative of love, then the fear starts to leave. It has to leave. It absolutely has to leave. Jesus says this, you know, this is, this is why I follow the way of Jesus. This is why I believe that Jesus does reveal what it means to be human. He says this, he says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. That, that word abundance is a Greek word, it's parisos. It means that which exceeds your anticipation. <laughs> That's what, that which exceeds your expectation and goes beyond what you anticipated. He says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. But he says, there is one who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And his name is the thief. And so in any given moment of your life, there's two forces. You could say it's love and it's fear. And, and I, I, I would also articulate it. There's Jesus, there's the shepherd, and there's the thief. And the thief is constantly wanting to pull you away from that position and that centeredness of, of, of being loved. Because if you are living from a place of being loved, you will not engage with fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. And the more that you're engaging with love, the, more, the, the less fear you're ever going to allow into your life. And if you're not fearful, then you can't be controlled. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's true for, for, for society. You know, we, we are able to control those that fear us. And so if there's a thief, you know, if there's one who wants to kill and destroy a humanity which is flourishing into being compassionate, kind, patient, other-centered, then the best, the best position that that thief could get us into is being people that are afraid because then we can be controlled. And so the story that this all goes back to for me is right at the beginning, uh, before Jesus did anything, before he did anything spectacular, anything significant, he was walking through the wilderness and he came across his cousin, John, who was baptizing people. And he said to John, hey, baptize me. And John says, no, I can't baptize you. You're Jesus. You should be baptizing me. And John's, Jesus says, no, this is, this is right for you to do. Baptize me. So Jesus is baptized, right? And as he comes out of the water, it says, effectively, the clouds parted, the, the heavens opened, and a voice spoke. And the voice said this, behold, this is my son who I love and upon whom my favor rests. This word is spoken in front of everyone before Jesus has done anything. And what that communicates to me is, Josh, there'll never be anything that you do which roots and grounds you in your belovedness other than the voice of the divine, the voice of your father, the voice speaking over you. Jesus tells us to address God as father. In fact, the Paul, the writer in the New Testament says, no, no, let's go one step further. Let's call him Abba. I just came back from Jerusalem and I heard little, heard little kids on the bus referring to their dad. Their father is Abba. It means daddy. Jesus says, no, that's how you relate to God is daddy. And so the heavens open and Jesus' father says, I love you. I love you. Before you do anything, I love you. And it says that God is love. So when God speaks, he declares love. And as God speaks, fear leaves. There's this, there's this quote that, um, that I love. It's by Henry Nouwen, who wrote a book called The Life of the Beloved, which I'd so recommend reading. And he says this, he goes, aren't you like, 
like me hoping that some person, thing or event will come along and it will give you that final feeling of inner well-being that you so desire. Though you often hope, maybe this book, this idea, this course, this trip, this job, this country, this relationship will fulfill my deepest desire. But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know, this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and keeps us busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are ever getting anywhere at all. And I thought that is so true. Yes, that's so often how I feel. So often my insecurity, my feeling of like not my foot, my footing, not being secure, not feeling safe comes from this desire that something is going to cross my path that is going to make everything valid, that's going to bring everything together. And I guess what I'm saying here and what I've learned over these last few years is, and it's not going to happen like that. <laughs> because if it did, if my belovedness, my, my, my centeredness, my security, my safety came from something that I did out of my performance and my ability, then I'm going to always be the one who has to maintain it and hold it and keep it up. But if like Jesus, my security and my safety comes from the voice of God, the voice of my father, the voice of the divine in whom all things are held together. If that's where it comes from, then I don't have to be the one that protects it. I don't have to be the one that sustains it. I can simply be the one who enjoys it. And so I think part of the reason it's so difficult to live in that place is we have a perception that God actually doesn't just love us, but really has created us to use us with a deep agenda, right? And so we don't feel totally relaxed by receiving these words from God because ultimately we're expecting to go to God to receive a to-do list. Do more, be more, act better, perform better, right? But in reality, the story of the scriptures, the ancient text shows us that God made humanity, and this is what I'm talking about when I say fully human, God made humanity to enjoy us, not to use us, to enjoy us. How do I know that? <laughs> when God makes man in, in, in the Genesis story, this, this Hebrew poem, when he makes man, on the day that man is created and brought to life, God decides to rest. <laughs> Why does God rest? Because he just wants to spend time with humanity. And then we have all these beautiful phrases of God walking with the first expression of humanity in the cool of the night, just spending time together in intimacy and in friendship. In fact, when man is created and it says that man becomes a living being, it's actually the result of God. And this is such a stunning picture of God leaning over man and breathing into his lungs. It's a kiss that brings him to life. God's first interaction with humanity is one of intimacy and one of joy. I wrote this down a long time ago. I said, Josh, God did not create you to be a tool in his belt, but a picture in his pocket. He doesn't get you out to use you. He gets you out to enjoy you. 
to relish in who you are. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that my security is dependent upon my belief and my satisfaction in the words that were spoken over Jesus that day. Behold, this is my son in whom I am truly pleased. So that's why I think that staying secure, staying safe is choosing to live at the highest point of what it means to be human. And I would say the highest revelation of what it means to be human is someone walking around trusting their belovedness. I believe that Jesus showed us what it means to be human. And Jesus spent every minute of his hour, of his day, of his week, of his month being the beloved of God. And I don't know if you've been around someone that when you're with them, you just feel like the, the room is lighting up. And it's not because they're just performing. It's not because they're just showing off. It's because there's something about them which is innately safe. And it feels like it brings everything together. It ties everything together in this really poetic and wonderful way. That is so often someone who is trusting their belovedness, trusting that the, the innate part of who they am, that who they are, the core of who they are, the thing that runs deepest in them is the beloved identity they have. Brendan Manning, uh, one of my favorite authors uh, and spiritual teachers says this. He said, define yourself as one radically loved by God. Every other self is an illusion. And I just want to throw back to the beginning of the episode where I talked about that future self, you know, that future self is either someone that you're sowing into now or is a shadow, an illusion. And so perhaps this whole vocation of discipline, this whole manifesto of discipline, walking out in practice, serving in kindness our future selves actually looks like choosing to live as the beloved, which comes at a cost. Why? There's something about love and being someone who believes they're loved, which means life doesn't happen on your terms anymore. Love is, is always seeking the good of the other. And so often we don't consider ourselves the other, right? So we will do things that harm ourselves, we will do things at the expense of our own sanity, the expense of our own security, at the expense of our own health, uh, because we want to accomplish something. And to be, to be the beloved, to treat yourself as the one who is loved, it is to put yourself first in ways that is countercultural to perhaps the way you might want to achieve or get something done. I had this, uh, this happened last year. I'm not going to go into all the details, but I had an opportunity to do a tour and it was a tour that I really wanted to do, like really wanted to do. But I actually had just lost someone and I was, I was hurting and I was in grief. Nonetheless, I wanted to do the tour. I felt really excited by it. I thought it's going to really advance my career. It's going to really push things forward for me. And I remember having this moment where I realized if I do the tour, then I am not loving myself and not fulfilling the manifesto I have to be the beloved. I am simply moving a career from A to B. Being the beloved is putting yourself in the position of being the other that you also have to care for and attend to. Um, the, the, the psychologist Carl Jung said this, he said, you know, Christians are so good 
at loving uh, the people amongst them that are in need. They're so good at loving the least amongst them, unless it's themselves. And living a lifestyle of discipline that is connected to your belovedness says, what do I need to do today that puts my belovedness first? So that might be for some of you, the cost of getting up an hour earlier so you can spend some time in solitude and in meditation and in prayer, if those are your spiritual disciplines, so you can engage at the deepest core of who you are, what it means to be alive today and receive the words of God over your life that are ones of belovedness, one of favor, ones of kindness, right? Perhaps it's saying no to activities at the weekend that you know that if you go ahead and do them, you're going to end up feeling that shame that we talked about and and feeling fear again perhaps it's turning down a job which might bring in more money but you know is going to feed a desire to receive validation through what you do there's tons of ways that we can cost um ourselves now who we don't want to be if the end goal is, is this this old gray man this this old this old dude i can see a picture of in my mind and and he is a beloved man. He is not an illusion. If that's the goal, then there's a lot of things I'm going to have to do that are countercultural to actually what, what, what the shadow part of me wants to achieve. Cause I want to, you know, I want it all. I want money and I want to have success and I want all of this stuff. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe you don't. There's a part of me that does want it. And sometimes I go after it at the expense of being someone who at the end of every day says this, I am one radically loved by God. Every other self is an illusion. If we live out of that place of belovedness, then our footing is, is secure and we can begin climbing and we'll ascend heights that we would never have ascended had our security been invested in what we were able to accomplish or what other people said about us. If my definition, if what defines me comes from the mouth of who designed me, and my security comes from that sense of being loved far beyond whatever I could do or accomplish. Then whatever happens, you know, like whatever is achieved, whatever is succeeded, whatever, whatever happens, I know it's going to be done so in health. And that, that rock wall that I climb is going to be one of becoming, not just doing, but becoming rooted and grounded in goodness and kindness, and patience, you know, and uh, that's, that's, that's the life that I want to live, and I think, I think that's probably the life that you want to live as well, and so as we journey through these ways of costing ourselves who we don't want to be, I want to encourage you to give yourself over to a new definition of security, give yourself over to a new description of what it means to be safe, as being that person who knows that the core they are loved and sometimes we have to remind ourselves over and over and over and over there's a very simple meditation that i do again this was this was uh, taught to me by brennan manning um and it's this is this is so simple on the inhale you simply say abba and on the exhale you say i'm loved by you or i belong to you abba i belong to you Abba, I'm loved by you. 
And what you're doing there is you're using the most intimate description of God, of the divine that you could ever come up with. And you're saying who I am is ultimately defined by who you are. And I can stop fighting. I can stop striving to prove myself. So I want to close with a, with a prayer to speak over you pilgrims. Um, this is a prayer that, that was written by Thomas Merton, the, the wonderful, mystic, contemplative uh, writer who gave us so much uh, goodness. This is a prayer that I love and I hope it encourages you. My Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. And I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have the desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it. And so I'll trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost at times in the shadow of death, I will not fear. Your perfect love casts out fear. And you are ever with me. And you will never, ever leave me. <laughs>